0: Would you stand with me if you're in the room and grab your copy of God's Word? We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to begin in the first verse. How many of you saw that Vikings come back yesterday? How many of you heard about it later? So confession, I, uh, I turned it on initially at the front end of the game and uh, saw that they were going downhill quickly. Turned it off to be uh, a nice husband and help around the house while my wife was running a couple of errands. Checked again, and it was halftime. 33 to nothing. And I thought, man, this is horrible. This is not good at all. Only to later check and realize it was tied up 36 all, and then watch the rest of the game. So some ways I kind of missed part of it too, but go Vikings, what a great win, NFC North champs, good way to continue the season. You know, it'd be nice for us to not have to come back from 33 points down next game, but, uh, but keep winning, that's the way to go now. Luke chapter 1, <laughs> that was a non-spiritual time, by the way. <laughs> exactly who Theophilus was, but the point of this first few verses being, Luke was very intentional in his investigative work to talk to people who had firsthand knowledge about the events surrounding Jesus, His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, and we get to jump into that narrative a little bit today and this week, so would you pray with me as we look to the Word. Father, thank you so much. For the opportunity we have today to be together, we we're, we're just love, uh, whether it's coffee or hot chocolate or good donuts or cookies or balloon animals, whatever the case, Lord, we've just been having such a great time, but more than anything, we recognize this season is more than just a, a note on a calendar. This is about you, Jesus, and we thank you for what this season represents to our lives, especially those of us who've made a decision to follow you. We know the life that you give. I pray in these moments that you will speak to this people, in person, online. Lord, especially that if someone doesn't know you, hasn't made a decision to follow you, they will do that today. It'd be the greatest gift of life, the the greatest gift at Christmas, the greatest life they've ever known in you. I pray, God, I make much of you and that we would have ears attentive to what you would say. Be with us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated and tell your neighbor, Merry Christmas. Now, I have a confession to make to you right off the front end of this message. I can actually enjoy silence. Uh, now, I was I was conditioned to it, okay? So give me a little slack. I was raised in a home with a dad who had sonic bat hearing. Uh, if you want to Google that, you can, and you'll find that bats have the capacity to hear ultrasound waves that go well above human frequency. That was my dad. We could be in the living room on one end of the house and have the TV volume less than 10. He could be in the bedroom laying down to go to sleep on the opposite end of the house and could hear the volume no matter how soft it was. He had sonic bad hearing. He could hear things that nobody else could hear. I was also raised, and, and still am, an only child, So I had no siblings in the home. We didn't fight with each other. There was no other siblings fighting with each other. I grew up in in sort of a quiet home. I can think better in quiet times. Only recently have I started listening to uh, instrumental music while I'm maybe sermon prepping, studying, writing. Because if I listen to music with lyrics, especially if I know the song, I'm going to be distracted and I'm going to start singing the lyrics and focusing on the lyrics rather than doing what I'm trying to do. In fact, I'm kind of convinced multitasking is a lie. Uh, You really can't, and if you do, both of the things you're trying to do at once are probably going to suffer. Even instrumental music at times I have to turn off just because I'm musical enough and have played music enough in my life that that I can hear the chord progressions or the bass lines or whatever the case. Often silence helps me decompress or exhale after mental stress or a lot of interaction. Uh, Now I'm an extrovert mostly by personality. I'm married to an extroverted introvert. I'll let you figure that out. But I'm married to an extroverted introvert, so I have begin to pick up through the years on a little more uh, introverted tendencies. Basically what I mean is I can interact with you from sunup to sundown, and it feeds me. There's an energy in that. But there does come a point where I just want to sit on the couch, send the children to bed, and have a few minutes of peace and quiet. Right? Okay, all right. Some of you are with me today, I can tell. I don't have to have noise to fall asleep. How many of you have a fan going in your room all the time? Raise your hand. Okay, some confessions good for the soul. How many of you have a white noise or some kind of app that provides noise that while you're trying to go to sleep? Anybody? Okay, a few of you that will be honest in the room. So I used to plug in a headphone or an earbud, and I would listen to a baseball game and fall asleep. Uh, I, could, I could put in a sports podcast and put it in my ear and lay on the other side and I could fall asleep. My wife would tell me, you're just listening to them talk, but it was so relaxing. Something about it for me. One, one other confession, I don't think I told this in the first service. I have a police scanner app on my phone and I can put it in my ear and fall asleep. Something about, I don't listen to Minneapolis, of course, but I listen to other places <laughs> in the country take that for what it's worth. And so, so used to that was the way I had to I had to relax and kind of calm myself down in order to be able to go to sleep. Well, now I'm to a place in my life I can't do that anymore. I start listening to what's being said, especially if I'm listening to the Georgia Bulldogs podcast and they're getting ready to play for another national championship and we're talking about who's injured and who's not and, and who's going to be on the field and who's not and how they're preparing for the game. They're getting ready to make another run for a national championship in case you're wondering, by the way. If you want to know what to get me for. Christmas. Georgia Bulldog stuff is great. Anyway, my point being, I don't don't have to have noise anymore to fall asleep. I actually appreciate the silence. Now, there's two times in my life when I don't want it to be silent. Two key times. The first of all is I don't want my children to be quiet. Because if they are silent, they are in trouble. Especially my middle child, I love her. And any of you that have been around my children love them too, I'm certain. But my middle child, if it's quiet, she's either destroying something, riding on a wall somewhere with a marker, or herself, for that matter, getting ink poison in the process, not really. Or she's, she's absolutely playing with something, doing something she's not supposed to be doing. Silence in that case is not a good thing. I also, in certain seasons of life, especially when I feel like I'm in a waiting season... I don't like silence. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Being in that waiting season when you feel like you're in that time between the promise of God and God fulfilling that promise in your life, there's times in those moments of waiting that maybe to a fault I can appreciate confirmations. I I can appreciate, okay, God, I know you said this however long ago, but could you just... Could you just tell me that one more time, just so I can make sure I know that it was you, that it wasn't just me making this up, or I can appreciate reminders that he still knows what's going on in my life, and he still sees, he understands, he cares, he's working, even though I may not see how he's fitting all these puzzle pieces together. Those are times when I'd rather God be talking than for it to be silent. Now last week we talked about how God has a plan and specializes in the details, And God gave throughout the Old Testament many different promises, many different types, many different ways of foreshadowing that pointed to the Messiah, Jesus, who would come to save people from their sin. So God spoke a lot in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. Well, then comes this period that we know as the intertestamental period. This is a period of about 400 years that took place between what we know as the end of the Old Testament Scripture as we have it to the beginning of the New Testament Scripture as we have it in the Gospels. It's a period of about 400 years that's between the final prophecy of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament events which are our focus in Luke chapter 1. Now don't get me wrong, things were still happening in the world, God was still walking in relationship with people, and God was still at work in many different ways. There were things that still were going on. But there's no recorded prophetic word, no fresh or new revelation to the Jewish people from God in this period of 400 years, leading many people to call it the silent years. Now, God hadn't changed His mind. He wasn't developing a new plan In fact, there was a theme that the angel would tell to Mary in Luke chapter 2 in the foretelling of Jesus' birth. It's a good reminder when we're living in that waiting season. Nothing is impossible with God. And maybe the better translation of that, so that we can understand it a little bit better in our life today, is no word from God will ever fail. He will always do what He said He will do. Whatever God says, there is more than enough power behind His words to accomplish the work. It's a good reminder for us on the front end today that we should believe what God said because of who God is. When you feel like you're in a waiting season, when you feel like nothing seems to be happening, when you feel like God is silent, when it takes longer between the promise and the fulfillment than what you thought it would take, I challenge and encourage you today to hold on to what God said because it is God who said it. He is faithful. God cannot lie. God will not fail. Can we give God some praise for that today if you agree with me? I know you guys are either in a sugar rush or a sugar coma at this point, but let's, we'll try to make it through. There were people alive before the time of Jesus that even during the seemingly silent years believed there was a Messiah to come. They bought in and believed what God said. Even in Luke chapter 2, there's a man named Simeon. And Simeon is recorded as being a man who waited with faith and patience and a great desire for the coming Messiah. And there seems to be evidence that our participants in this Christmas narrative we're about to look at today, they were also expecting the Messiah. Would you pick up with me today? Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. If you've got a copy of God's Word, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. We come here to two people, a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, the Bible tells us several things about this couple. First of all... The Bible tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were upright, meaning they were pure in heart. They had a relationship with God. They were right in God's sight. He could see their heart. It it was evidenced, their relationship with God was evidenced by how they lived. These people were more interested than just keeping the letter of the law and doing the right things just to do the right things. They really loved God with all they were and wanted to please Him. Zechariah... His name means Jehovah remembered. Keep that in your mind. Zechariah's name means Jehovah or God remembered. Zechariah was a priest. He and his wife Elizabeth both were of the lineage of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother way back in the Old Testament. And this was the line of family through which God started the line of priests. Now, I don't have time to get into everything with the temple and the tabernacle and the priestly service, but I can tell you there's a lot of great point and a lot of great reason to read through the Old Testament. Here's the summary. Priests were established by God for the purpose of serving in the temple and leading worship and prayer on behalf of the people. There were 24 divisions of these priests in this time period, comprised, some estimate, as many as 1,000 priests per division. And each division would travel to the temple and serve twice a year for one week at a time. So hold that, and we'll talk further about it in just a moment. A couple of interesting notes the scripture tells us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Number one, they had no children. Jewish culture considered the birth of children to be a great blessing from God, and the absence of children was seen as either a great misfortune or even seen by some as punishment for sin. So you can see that not having children, there was a stigma over Zechariah and Elizabeth. Here's the additional part that the Bible teaches us. They were both well along in years, meaning they were past the age of childbirth. In addition to infertility, they were past those childbearing years. And when you think about that, you can think about people in the Old Testament who shared similar situations. Abram and Sarai, later known as Abraham and Sarah, were well up into their years when God gave them the promised child. And then Hannah in 1 Samuel. You can find other situations in Scripture where people were barren, unable to have children, and God miraculously delivered them or gave them the opportunity to experience what they'd longed for. Evidence in our text today suggests that Zechariah and Elizabeth had often prayed for God to give them a child, as, as anyone today would especially a son, to carry on their family line and to take away the stigma of the culture, not having a child. Unfortunately, it hadn't happened. And it gives us enough context knowing the situation to know that what was about to take place in their lives was truly miraculous. Only God could give them a child in their old age and open a barren womb. On top of that, Zechariah and Elizabeth were about to be part of something much greater than they could have ever imagined. Now the Bible tells us that Zechariah was on duty serving in the temple before God. The Bible says he was chosen by Lot to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So first of all, the casting of lots was a practice that was really common in the Old Testament and we even see it present in the New Testament times. People have tried to compare casting lots to the idea of rolling a dice, something that looked like a dice. And when it was rolled, whatever came up was thought to be the will of God being revealed regarding the person or people involved in that moment. Another way to think about it perhaps might be drawing straws, the old phrase, drawing straws, and someone who either is said to get the shortest or the longest, that 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 would be the revelation of who would maybe go first in a game. In this case, the will of God being revealed to them. Now, because of the number of priests in this time period, scholars would estimate that there were between 18,000, maybe even all the way up to 20,000 priests in that area at this time. That means that burning the incense was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity at most. Some probably never had an opportunity to do this. Burning incense was done, if you, if you can go back and study the temple, I don't have time to get into all of this, but there are different stops, if you will, along the way, different practices of worship and honoring God along the way until one gets to go all the way into the holy place and then into the holy of holies, the high priest. And right outside that holy of holies, there's a place known as the holy place, and there this selected priest would burn incense, and as that incense would rise, it represented the prayers of people rising up to God. There were so many priests that some likely never had the opportunity to do this. And here's Zechariah chosen by Lot to go into the temple. Now context is clear to us and tells us this shouldn't be viewed as just some random happenstance. Well, it just worked out for Zechariah. He just happened to get drawed that day. And so he got to go into the holy place. This chapter, this narrative teaches us that this was God's orchestration of details for Zechariah to be in the temple and to be in the holy place that day. God wanted to speak to him. It's a good reminder for us that as Jesus followers, we can be encouraged in knowing that God will order our steps. Some people live with the mentality, it doesn't matter what I do or when I do it, what's going to happen is just going to happen. What's going to be is just going to be. That's not the case for Jesus followers. For Jesus' followers, we can trust that as we honor God and live in relationship with Him, He will order our steps. He will align us with His will. There's even been some debate through the years of is there a a perfect will of God and a permissive will of God. Some people have read in Romans chapter 12 and interpreted knowing God's good, pleasing, and perfect will to be three different types of God's will. Rather, that describes God's will to its fullest degree. It's good, it's pleasing to Him, and it's perfect. And I believe, and Scripture indicates, Psalm 139, Jeremiah 1, we could go on down the list, that God knows the days of our lives, knows what's going to happen, has it written down in His book even, before we're even born. Now, I I just believe the promises of God's Word, and the promises of God's Word says that for Jesus' followers, things don't just happen. Psalm 37, 23 says the steps of the righteous man are ordered by God. So we either have to believe God orders our steps, or He doesn't. I'll give you an example. Uh, Years ago, Amber and I had the blessing to be connected to Another pastor, another minister who, who pastors uh, an enormous church, and and uh, I got to serve with him on some different committees and groups, and we've hung out some with them, their family, and, and uh, honestly, probably didn't really think much about it at the time. We were just friends. He was a super nice guy. We got to know each other. We spent time together, played golf together even. He's a lot better than I am, but nonetheless, we played golf together. Don't think a lot about those things. Sometimes we can just think it's, it's just a connection. It's just a relationship. But I had no idea that when he and I met each other years ago and through all of these years, that later down the road in May of 2021... His relationship was going to be shared with a mutual friend who served on the board at a church called Eden Prairie Assembly of God, and I was going to get a phone call while being in California for a best friend's wedding that Eden Prairie Assembly of God was looking for a pastor, and a boy from South Georgia was going to end up living in Minnesota where it's zero outside today. <laughs> I'm not looking for you to, I'm not looking for you to clap. For me. I'm just telling you how God can put things together. I mean, it gets. 20 degrees in South Georgia, and people are miserable. They, they don't know how to handle it. It snows one inch, and you shut everything down, and you have no milk and no bread in the stores. And here, zero, as long as the wind ain't blowing, it's okay. Sound Minnesotan enough for you? I told somebody the other day, I said, it's not bad. I, I think I'm acclimating. I think I'm just getting used to it. You wear enough layers, and you stay inside when you need to, right? But my point being, God puts things together. And sometimes we don't even realize it. Sometimes we just think it's a coincidence. We just think it's a happenstance. We just think it's a connection. We just think it happens to be that we happen to meet somebody along the way, but God can put things together. And if we'll follow God and love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and yield to his plan for our lives, he will order our steps. Zechariah being in that holy place that day wasn't just about casting a lot. It was God wanted to speak to him and involve him in the greatest mission that's ever been on the face of the this planet it's really incredible Zechariah serves in the temple that day and had a divine encounter with an angel named Gabriel sent from the throne of God Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 12 when Zechariah saw him the angel he was startled and was gripped with fear but the angel said to him do not be afraid Zechariah your prayer has been heard let's pause for just a moment your prayer has been heard isn't that comforting God, I don't feel like anything's changing. Your prayer has been heard. God, God, I don't don't know how this is going to come to pass. Your prayer's been heard. God knows what's in that heart that you have. God knows what's going on in your life. God's listening when you talk to Him. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Notice this. He will be a great joy and delight to you, of course, And many also will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. You remember last week we talked about reconciliation and restoration and God bringing back a people to himself and restoring the way things were supposed to be? Listen to this line. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, again, remember Zechariah's name, Jehovah, remembered. What an encouragement to him in that moment, your prayer has been heard. The question for us becomes, what prayer? Because Zechariah knew they were past childbearing age. He knew that they were too old for that to happen in the natural So perhaps this reference is a a reference to a prayer for the Messiah because they believed the Messiah was to come for the deliverance of Israel. Well, we do know that even even if Zechariah had kind of given up hope on having his own son because of their physical circumstances, they continued to pray for God's work to be done and the Messiah to come, and now they were going to get to experience both. They were going to get to be involved personally in the coming of Jesus, the first advent, and their child John was going to precede Jesus in a way of pointing people to the truth. They were going to personally know a joy. If you've had children, you know the joy of, of having children in that moment when a child is born, especially if you waited a long time. They were going to experience personal joy, but they were also going to see many people would rejoice because of his birth and his ministry would impact a lot of people. It's really incredible. We know this child is John the Baptist. Now, it's interesting to note that John's name means the Lord is gracious, while the name of Jesus means the Lord saves. So throughout the Gospels and throughout the story about John the Baptist, here's God in His graciousness and His mercy and His compassion, sending the voice of truth to point people to Jesus, and Jesus coming to save the world. What a weaving together of the work of God. Now, John was called John the Baptist not because he was part of a particular local church or denomination, but because he was a guy who repented or helped people repent and turn towards the truth. He baptized many people in water who did so. He lived differently from the culture around him. He was not given to the same habits or cravings. He was set apart. Here we're, instru- we're told that, that God instructed Zechariah that he was to never have any fermented drink or wine. We read in the, the Gospel of Mark that John lived with casual clothes. It wasn't elaborate like other people. He, he also only ate wild locusts and honey, which, oh, by the way, sounds awful, but nonetheless, he didn't live like everyone else. He lived unto God. He was focused on pointing people to the truth. And like Elijah, John would call people to turn to God, the one true God. John would point people to repentance and reconciliation through Jesus, who was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's interesting. We talked earlier about these 400 seemingly silent years. The last prophecy that was given... Connected to our narrative today, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The last prophecy was about John, and 400 years later, we see the unfolding of God's ongoing plan. It's really amazing. If it wasn't enough that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have their own son, and if it wasn't enough that his, this son would be the forerunner, the influencer towards Jesus Christ among people, here's another additional piece of how God weaved this all together. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, her baby boy in the womb, John, would become a sign to a teenage virgin girl in Nazareth that God could do whatever He said He would do. The angel would appear to Mary and say, you are going to be with child. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be with child. And she says, how can this be? And the reply of the angel was, the Holy Spirit's going to make this possible for nothing shall be impossible with God. No word from God will ever fail. This baby boy John also became a sign to Mary. Now there's so much encouragement in this Christmas narrative, and I hope that through this series you're picking up little nuggets of encouragement about how God can lead our lives and how God knows what He's doing, and we can trust Him. So let me remind you of a few of those things today. First of all, we should believe what God said because God said it. We said this earlier in this message. He can't lie. He can't and won't fail. God's character assures us of God's words. I want to remind you today that you serve the mighty God who with Him nothing is impossible. And so since that's true, then secondly, we can trust God to orchestrate the details of our lives. We can trust him to put it together. He has a specific plan for your life that includes specific details. And God is really good at putting things together. Look at how he brought Jesus into this world. He's really good at weaving the plans together. If God said it, he will do it. If God promised it, he will keep it. God has a plan. He specializes in the details and he knows the perfect timing. If you're in that season of waiting, you can trust Him. God is going to come through. He won't just lead you in coincidental moments, but He'll lead you in alignment to His will for your life. What do you need to do? Well, here's what you don't need to do. You don't have to worry. You don't have to stress. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to try to make things happen on your own or push your life through certain doors that you think are best for your life. The best thing for us to do is to yield to God, to walk upright, to follow Jesus, and then trust Him that He's going to do exactly what He said He would do. I follow Jesus. He orders my steps. I follow Jesus. He orders my steps. I don't have to wonder or worry. I can trust Him that if I will follow Him and stay connected to the Lord, He will order my steps. So my encouragement to you, especially if you're in a waiting season, is don't stop believing in what God has told you, and don't stop believing in God. He's faithful. Maybe your struggle is that you find yourself waiting on a promise from God to be fulfilled. I mean, you know the Christmas story, and you know how God brought all of these things together, and you know how how God kept His Word throughout all of these things. He always has. But your struggle is, I need that in my life right now. I want to challenge you to to give it to God, to yield to Him in this. Whatever it is you're waiting on, whatever it is you're waiting for God to do, to trust Him with your life, to not not run to God and say, God, I'm yielding to you and I'm trusting you with this, and to then just pick it back up and carry it as if it's a weight you've got to make happen. Rather, to really truly give it to God and to not spend our time Worried and thinking about all of those things we wonder if they're going to happen or not. But let God unveil and reveal and roll out His plan for our lives in just the right way at just the right time. Don't stop believing in God and don't stop believing what God has said to you. God should be trusted because of who He is and He wants to lead your life in a perfect way. Number three. We should remember that God's work in our lives is for other people too. What God's doing in you is also for other people. God has a way of weaving our narratives together. The things that have been a miracle in your life, the the answered prayers in your life from God will be of benefit and encouragement to someone else who is waiting. Even in this room today, even in this EPAG community today, some of you have experienced God answering prayer. You've experienced God's blessings. You've been encouraged. You've had so many different things that God has done. There's somebody else in this room or in this church community or even in your family, whatever the case, and they're in a waiting time. They just need to know. God is going to come through. They need to be reminded God is faithful. And the work that He's done in us is not just for us to hold on to and keep to ourselves, but to share with other people because someone else might need that encouragement in the waiting. The miraculous pregnancy for Zechariah and Elizabeth was more than just a son for them, but it was also a sign for Mary. The miraculous pregnancy was more than just a Son for them, but also a prophetic voice to influence others to Christ. John would go on to be used of God in great ways. The Holy Spirit in John wasn't just for his personal life, but it was so that he would have a bold voice in telling others the truth. Somebody around you today needs to hear what God has done in your life. Somebody needs to know the life of walking with God and how God has ordered your steps. Someone needs to know the faithfulness of God. When, that when you didn't know how you were going to make things happen, God orchestrated the details. When you didn't know how ends were going to meet, God provided for you. Somebody else needs to hear how God has been faithful in your life to remind them that God's going to be faithful in their life too. Now's not the time for us to be silent, but to be a people who share what God has done, which, which brings me... To our last thought today, we are the ones to prepare others for the second coming of Jesus as well. Not only are we telling people what God has done in our lives, not only should we be sharing the faithfulness of God with others, but we should also be pointing people to the reality that there is a second coming of Christ. We sang about this earlier. Jesus came the first time as Savior of the world. John's Gospel, John 3, 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He came, gracious and compassionate, full of mercy. That's who God is. There is coming a time when Jesus will come to earth again, and the people who have rejected Him will be subject to judgment. This time He comes as a conquering King to judge the nations and the peoples of the earth. We're the ones to help people get ready. I I think about all the things that go on in our world, and we could use a number of different illustrations, but I think, I think what grieves me the most is to think that people could be living with the greatest need in their lives, and we have the answer and the cure, but yet if we're not guilty of actually sharing it with other people. I mean, if if you had a cure for a disease, if you had a cure for cancer, if if uh, if if you walked by and someone's house was on fire, there, we would do things about that. And here's the reality of humanity in our world today: having a sin issue, a heart that is is infected with a sin problem that rebels against God. And we, we have the answer for the sin problem. We have the way for people to experience eternal life. And yet statistics tell us, and I, I, there's a lot of different studies out there, but statistically we're being told that, that believers, Jesus followers, aren't really sharing their faith. Aren't really telling other people. We shouldn't be silent. We're the people who are to help other people get ready for the second coming of Jesus. We're to be like John, who is that voice preparing people for the way of the Lord. We're to be telling people Christmas made it possible for Calvary, and the cross of Calvary made it possible to live with God forever. We're the ones to communicate that. We must be the ones crying out. So whether it's encouraging people with God's faithfulness, or whether it's telling them the truth of the gospel, We are the ones to prepare people. We are the ones to speak that into other people's lives. If you're in the room today, would you stand with me? And if you're online, I'd love for you to take a few moments to respond with us as well. I'm going to ask you, if you're in the room today, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just nobody looking around, everybody focused on what God may be saying to you today. I believe every one of us can respond in some way today and the question comes down to what should be your response? Number one, have you made the decision to follow Jesus? Have you accepted the gift of salvation and eternal life? Have you yielded your life to Jesus being the Lord of your life? Are you living life in a different way in relationship with God? The bad news is every human being on the face of the planet is born under the curse and under the control and power of sin. We rebel against God, we do things our own way, humans can be full of pride. The bad news is that sin separates us from eternity with God. Sin has consequences. But the good news, the best news you could ever hear is that God loved you so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, no matter where you are, what you've done, where you're from, whatever. That whoever believes in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting eternal life. There's an answer. You can receive forgiveness of your sin and you can live a different life and, and be on a different trajectory for your life in the present and in the future for eternity. So maybe for you today response is making a decision to follow Christ maybe secondly maybe your response today is to trust God with the details of your life maybe you feel like right now your life's in in a big mess you feel like you're holding a bunch of puzzle pieces and you have no idea how to put them together first of all as a Jesus follower if you've already made that decision I can guarantee you that you can trust the Lord to lead you. You can trust the Lord to order your steps and to put those things together exactly how they need to be. Your response is to yield to Him, to give it to Him. To say, Lord, You are the Lord of my life. You are the Savior of my life. You are faithful and true. So, Lord, I'm trusting You with the details. And rather than picking them up and trying to fit them together ourselves or make it happen or force through the doors or think we have all the answers, we yield to Him and we let God unfold His plan in our lives just as it needs to be. So maybe today your response is trusting God with the details of your life. Or maybe lastly today you recognize you need the boldness and help of the Holy Spirit to tell others about Jesus. Maybe you're recognizing it's really uncomfortable and nerve-wracking to talk to someone else about Jesus. Maybe maybe you're recognizing you're not great at, at focusing on the faithfulness of God. Rather, sometimes you can have a tendency to focus more on what you feel like you don't have, and so therefore you don't tell other people about how God's come through. Maybe today you need a greater work of the Holy Spirit. First of all, maybe you need your eyes open to see that God truly has blessed your life and God truly is with you. And maybe you need the help of the Holy Spirit to be bold, to share what God is doing in your life with someone else. I'm going to ask any prayer team members that are here today, would you come and make your way to either side of the platform? Today, these people who are coming will be available to pray with you if you need to make a decision to follow Christ this is a moment for you to do that have a relationship with God now and it will last with being with God for eternity I don't want you to miss out on that eternity is real after this life is real and I want you to know God and have a relationship with Him through Jesus so that you can be with God forever maybe today it's struggling in the waiting and trying to trust God with the details of your life, these people will pray with you and encourage you. Maybe today it's that boldness to help others know Jesus or to tell others about what God's doing in your life. These people will, these prayer team members will pray with you and encourage you and you can experience the work of God in your heart even now. I want to pray for you. And then I'm going to pray over you, and then I'm going to encourage you to respond. Take some time and respond as you need to today. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that your word is true to all people everywhere for all time. I thank you, Lord, for what you're speaking to us. And I just felt throughout this series, Lord, that you've been speaking encouragement to people who, who God, need to trust you with their lives. Maybe they're struggling, maybe they're waiting, maybe they're struggling to trust. God, I just pray today that you be with those who need to just yield to you and trust you with the details, be with those and work in those who need boldness to talk more about you and what you're doing in their lives, Lord. And most of all, if there be anyone in person or on our online campus that, Lord, doesn't know you, that doesn't have a relationship with you, that doesn't really know what life can be in you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would draw them. May they, may they feel that tug of love, compassion, and mercy, and grace, and may they respond and know You like never before. Do a work in hearts, O oh Lord, that we may not be able to see in the natural, but You can do, for You see all things. Father, I pray that You bless and keep this people, and You make Your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them pray that your countenance, your favor ever be turned in their direction and grant them your peace. May this season be filled with your joy and your peace and your power in every way. May we all, Lord, continue to gain more and more understanding, Lord, of who you are and what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for this season of celebration more than anything.